The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Okay, good morning, Eleven. Great to see you all here. If you're online with us, welcome. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here. Uh, We've got a lot of work to do. Would you please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? That was uh, where we were. uh, We just had that scripture read over us. Matthew 6 is in the first chapter of the New Testament or first book of the New Testament. Uh, If you have a phone or a tablet, open that up. Uh, If you are online with us on your screen, there's a little Bible thing. You can open up Matthew 6 in the English Standard Version is where we'll be looking. We're going to spend our time in those those verses this morning. Uh, So it has almost uh, been six years since we started this church. Uh, We're coming up on our birthday in February. And uh, I think, actually I know because I just went back and looked through the archives, I have preached two Uh, sermons that were money sermons since we started the church. Okay, just two. Uh, Today is our 308th sermon since we planted the church. And today's sermon is the third money specific sermon that I have preached. Do you feel that weirdness right now? You just, right, did it just get a little weird in here? Right? Like, I mean, the, the reality is that there's nothing that makes us just get a little antsy and bristle like when a pastor gets up and talks about politics or money, right? Those are the two things that were, they're like, they're just taboos. They're kind of off, off subject. And, 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 and I, I mention this because um, uh, it's interesting to, to kind of compare that to, well, how the New Testament talks about money. So uh, now I... Frankly, I've, it's not like I've only talked about money twice. We talk about money wherever it shows up in the text, and so sometimes it'll be a sub-point, and actually, I kind of talk about it every week. Like, if you've been with us, you know that I, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to talk about giving our first and our best. So we talk, teach on this a lot, but to put this into perspective, uh, if you look at the New Testament, one out of every 10 verses deals with the money. One out of every 10 in the New Testament, okay? Uh, uh, 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus deal with money. So that's pretty decent. Um, And then 25% of Jesus's teaching addresses finances, 25%. So can you imagine if I started following Jesus' protocol for teaching and did a money sermon once a month? Like you want to talk about a way to shrink a church. Uh, but, but frankly, I would be more in line with how Jesus taught if I did that than I do right now. I mean, very honestly, uh, and, and, and also people would be far more skeptical of my ministry if I started doing that too. If I started doing what Jesus did. So that's neither here nor there. Today, we are finishing up our series on the disciplines. Okay, this is week six in this series. And we've been looking at habits or practices or what historically have been called spiritual disciplines. And uh, just by way of reminder, here's how we've defined disciplines. Okay, the disciplines are practices that we train ourselves in with the goal of going deeper in our relationship with Christ. Right? So these are the things that we practice. These are the things we train in so that we can go deeper with Jesus. And these training methods, they help us. They, they give us handholds, as it were, so that we can get up in our uh, relationship with Jesus. They are to be practiced, we said, in simplicity and consistency. Right? We said that in week one. So small, simple practices over a long period of time is one of the keys to your spiritual growth. 
That's what we've been talking about. And today our final discipline is generosity, okay? Generosity is what we're talking about today. Now, before we get into it, uh, let me give you my money sermon disclaimer. All right. Uh, number one, we are not trying to raise money here today. All right. Like I'm, I, I, this is not a fundraising sermon. Okay. We're not taking a special offering after this sermon. Okay. We're not trying to like add a wing to the building. Although I would love some money to pop this root. We don't even own this place. So we can't even do it. Even if you wanted to give us money, I'd love to, but, but uh, this is not that kind of sermon. Okay. And hear me, I'm not saying any of that's problematic, like doing a building campaign. Maybe someday we'll have the chance to do that. Taking a special offering. Okay. We could do that at some point. That's just not what's happening today, okay? Fathom Church, just so you're aware, we're doing well financially. As a church, we are doing well. We are meeting and actually exceeding our budget right now. Uh, You as a church family are so unbelievably generous, especially in light of COVID, especially in light of economic downturn. Like, Like this is not a, hey, we're getting into November, and so we're getting close to the end of the year, and we gotta meet budget, so like, let's up it, let's up our giving a little bit. That's not this sermon, okay? That's not what we're doing today. What I want to do today is propose to you that the discipline of generosity is essential for you to go deeper with Jesus. That it is an essential practice if you want to grow in Christian maturity. So that's my first disclaimer, okay? This is not a we need your money kind of sermon, okay? Second disclaimer, um, I could go in so many directions with generosity because generosity is not simply giving money or giving resources, okay? Uh, You've heard preachers break it down as maybe time, talent, and treasure, right? You can give of your time, like you can serve or something like that. You can give of your abilities, your giftings, or you can give of your finances. And all of that is good and right and true and blessings upon that. Uh, But for the sake of today's time, I'm going to only talk about money today. One edge of generosity, plus we just preached through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 specifically covers spiritual gifts and the body of Christ, serving the body of Christ at length. So you can go back and listen to those sermons if you want to talk about giving of your time and abilities, all right? But um, that's what we're going to be today. In, In addition, I just have all these disclaimers before we get into it. Just deal with it, okay? In addition... Uh, I said this when we talked about fasting a couple weeks ago, uh, but just like uh, in fasting where I see everybody wanting to fast from everything except for food, so too in being generous, I often hear people who are trying to give of everything except for money. Right, like, frankly, that's me, all right? Ask me to help out in some way. Ask me to serve in some way. Like, whatever, I'll sign up for that. But man, the minute you start asking me for some money, man, it's just harder. That's just a harder pill to swallow. So I think there's a biblical reason why. I'm gonna show you how I think this all works together in the text today. So we're talking about generosity. You can't really leave if you're here because it's a small enough room, I know. But if you're still with us online, All right, let's dig into Matthew chapter six. We're gonna break these three verses down, okay? Chapter six, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So this is is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous and longest 
consecutive teaching passage in any of the four gospels. And we're right in the middle of this sermon and Jesus issues a warning. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't try and aim at amassing earthly treasures. And he gives you a why right off the bat. Why wouldn't I amass for myself earthly treasures, lay my, uh, build up these, these, these treasure storehouses even? Why? Because they'll break down on you. Right? He says that they'll be eaten away by moths. They'll rust out like that old car. They can even be stolen. Like somebody could break in and steal those things. And actually a little further down, Jesus is going to say, we're not going to get there, but he's going to say, you can't serve God and money. You cannot serve these two things. And I think Jesus knows that there's something about finances and stuff and possessions that make us begin to put our trust in them. And so, um, frankly, as Christians, we can be in a church service and we can get all riled up, right? Like they can say to us, hey, you need to follow Jesus. And that means you've got to surrender your life. And you're like, I'm in. Well, that, that means you've got to surrender your dreams. Okay, I'm in for that. Well, that means that you've got to trust God with your kids. You can have them, right? Take them. Well, that means you've got to surrender your finances. Wait, 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 hold up. What? See, I think Jesus knows that, that we have a propensity to turn money and possessions into idols, into gods. Uh, I, I find this myself, okay? Until a couple of years ago, um, I drove a 2006 GMC Canyon. Heck of a motor carriage, let me tell you. Um, uh, actually, it was a lemon. It was a pure lemon. You ever buy a car, it turns out to be a lemon, and you just think you're a fool? That's how I felt for many years, okay? Nothing worked correctly on the canyon, all right? Nothing at all. So, for, for example, uh, one day, uh, opening my door, the, the driver's side door, it used to, like, shut off the power, right? So the radio still goes after you take the key out, you open the door, and it stops. Like, one day, that stopped working. I just didn't know it uh, until I was coming out from, uh, uh, like, the King Supers, and I'm walking in the rain, and I see a truck with windshield wipers just going like crazy. It looks kind of like my truck, and I'm like, what moron left his windshield wipers on? That was me, Okay. And so then I had to learn the method, like the code for how to turn my car off so my battery wouldn't drain. So I'd have to get out, go around to the back door, open it up, shut it, close my door, and then lock it so that, I, so, so that it wouldn't just drain my battery and the windshield wipers or the radio wouldn't keep going. People were probably looking at me thinking, what kind of crazy OCD does this guy have that he's got to open and shut all kinds of doors? No, I was just trying to shut the truck off. It's crazy. Uh, another thing that didn't work in the canyon, my heat and my air conditioning would only work on full blast or not at all, right? Like every setting for a comfortable climate did not exist in the GMC Canyon. So if you rode with me, if you like got in the car with me and we were driving around, you're like, man, it's hot in here. I'm like, all right. And just like, you'd be hit with the air conditioning. It just blasts you. You're always either roasting or freezing in the Canyon. It was just never comfortable, now, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the canyon finally broke to the point where it cost more to fix it than to replace it, right? Did anybody did you ever pray for that day to come on your vehicle? That was where I was at. So, so we got rid of the canyon. Okay, we got rid of it. Um, now, he, here's the truth. When I would drive the canyon around, I never really thought about its well-being. 
Like I never really cared if it got dinged or scratched or scraped or what. I just run into things. It didn't matter to me because it was just a piece of garbage. I really, the only thing I did is I just prayed it would start. Like I just, come on, Jesus. And then we'd go and I'd be like, all right, here we go. We're at another day with the canyon. Like if I got to the store, if I got to the store, like to King Supers, you ever drive and you, and, and you see, and you see the, the, the spot opens up and you're like, I don't know, man, that's a little tight. Like, I'm not sure that we can, I don't want to get dinged or something. Never thought that with the canyon, right? I get to the store, I see that spot. I'm just like, can we make it? Can we make it? Can we make it? Yes, all right, everybody out the windows, right? Like, I mean, that's what we did with the canyon. But it died, and I thought, okay, uh, we need to get a new car. So uh, we had never been in a financial position to buy a new car, but we were like, we can do it right now. So we bought a brand new 2019 Toyota RAV4, and man, it was sweet, right? Like it was, I mean, it was legit heated seats. Woohoo! that was nice, right? iPhone that syncs with the stereo Bluetooth. Like I couldn't believe it. Air conditioning that worked, right? Like it was a real nice thing. But man, I found myself without knowing parking a little further away from the King Supers from that cart return. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, I found myself being a bit more conscientious about where I parked and what was around me and, and really the quality of the vehicles that I was parking next to. I was like, is that a GMC Canyon? No, nope. take another lap, find another spot. I'm not parking there. But, but hear me, I found myself for the first time, the first time ever in my life, really worried about what moth and rust can destroy when it came to my car. I had never been concerned about that before. Now, I say all that to say, that does not mean that you shouldn't have nice things or you shouldn't take care of your things. But what it did is it revealed in me a propensity towards idolatry. A potential idol had been presented in my life and it was my stuff. Things, possessions, Jesus is issuing us a warning to, to be careful here. Because all that stuff that you own, it can very quickly begin to own you. It don't matter if it's a GMC Canyon or a 2019 RAV4, what you have can quickly take possession of your heart. But Jesus does not leave us hanging with this, hey, don't amass for yourself treasures on earth. He gives us an antidote. He gives us a potential solution here down in verse 20. So let's look at verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is Jesus saying, hey, if you don't want to focus all your energies on that stuff that, that, that is going to rot out and it's going to end up in a garage sale or it's going to end up in the, the landfill, if you don't want to waste all of your energy and amass all of your time towards that, the solution instead is to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, eternal things. And the way that we do this is through practicing generosity. That's the way that you begin to amass for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, I'll say this about gen generosity right off the bat. Everyone here is generous. Everybody is generous to something. Everybody is. You're generous. I'm generous. We are all generous to something. That something just tends to be you. 
right? Like, like you are generous to you. You're generous to your house. You're generous to your car. You're generous to your kids' education. You're generous to your hobbies, right? You're generous to that vacation fund. You are generous to something. You are. But the Bible teaches us that, that Jesus must be honored with our generosity. The way we put it is that we honor him with our first and our best. Now, what does this all mean? Uh, what does this generosity mean for us? How does it look? Well, uh, biblically, it's, it, there's lots and lots of verses, but it starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 14 in the Old Testament with a guy named Abraham. Heard of Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, right? And that's, uh, but Genesis 14, Abraham, uh, there, there, his name actually at this point is still Abram, but he, he encounters a guy named Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Now, Melchizedek is, is kind of a wacky ancient Hebrew, like mythical character. That's the best way I know how to describe Melchizedek. I don't have time to go into all of the details about this guy. I preached on him in depth when we studied Genesis 14 and when we studied Hebrews 4. So you can go back and listen to those if you'd like. But in Genesis 14, Abram shows up uh, after winning a battle. Okay, he has all of this spoil and plunder from winning this battle. And then out of nowhere in the desert, Melchizedek, this guy Melchizedek, uh, who is called a priest and a king, he shows up and he blesses Abram just blesses him in the name of the Lord. And Abram responds to this blessing by giving a tenth of all of his spoils to Melchizedek. And it's the first time in the Bible we see the idea of a tithe, 10%. It's the first time we see the tithe and the tithe, it simply meant giving a tenth unto the Lord giving a tenth unto the Lord. And the principle of the tithe will show up for uh, the remainder of the Old Testament as kind of this baseline for how God's people invested in God's work. Or maybe we would use Jesus' language, it's how God's people laid up for themselves treasures in heaven. Now, People, uh, Christians today want to argue all the time with me and with all of us, right? They want to argue all, all the time about how much we as Christians ought to give. How much should we give? Is it a percentage, right? Is it a, is it a flat rate? Is it above, uh, be, you know, before taxes, after taxes? Is it, you know, well, yeah, 10%, that's Old Testament and we're New Testament Christians. So what should we give? And there's all these kind of debates about this. What are we supposed to do in terms of generosity and specifically giving of our money as Christians, well, let me say this real quick before we jump out of the tithe, okay? Real quick, practically, if you could live, like if you could learn to live on 10% less than you make, you would have a blessing right there in your life. You want to be blessed by the Lord? Try to live on 90% and figure out the way to do that. That would be a blessing because the reality is everyone lives on a percentage of their income. Problem is most of us live on about 107%. Now listen, write this down, okay? If you're taking notes, write this down. That's bad. <laughs> That's bad. So listen, Fathom, we do not teach the principle of the tithe. I don't think the tithe is a principle that we see carry over into the New Testament, but we rather teach the principle of first fruits giving, which I think is a biblical principle that surveys from the Old Testament all the way onto the New Testament. Abram gives his first fruits. It happens to be a tithe, 
but he gives his first and his best from the spoils he just won in battle. Before he does anything else, he gives back to the Lord. He gives back to God. And so the principle that we teach here at Fathom, and you know this if you've been here, we give God our first and our best. That's how we practice generosity. So you take what God has generously provided for you, which by the way is everything. You take everything that God has generously provided for you and you bring back your first and your best. Whatever that portion is, that is us bringing it back to God. So we ask every Christian who calls Fathom Church their home church to give their first and their best. Now, if this isn't your church, if this is not your church home, if you're online with us and you're just a guest, uh, we, we just say, don't give here. I think if you're a Christian, you should give somewhere. If you don't feel like if this is the right place, that's fine. But like, but listen, you should give somewhere, but don't give here if this is not your home church. And if you're not a Christian, we don't ask you to give at all. If you don't believe in this stuff, you are not on the hook to give. So, so Marcy and I practice this, okay? We as a family practice this. So yes, I am the pastor here, but I am also a church member here, right? That, I mean, that makes sense. Like I, I'm not only the guy who leads here, I'm also a part of this thing. And so we give of our first and our best. We've been doing this our whole married life together. When we got engaged almost 15 years ago, uh, we were going through premarital counseling, which I would suggest for anybody looking to get married. Um, And one of the questions that was asked of us was about finances and specifically giving. Now, you guys know I wasn't raised in the church. So I was like, we'll just give something. We'll just give something at some point. Like I had no real idea of how or what to give, uh, but Marcy was raised in a Christian home and, and, and she said this to, to my face in premarital counseling, this is why you do premarital counseling so this doesn't come up on the honeymoon, right? Uh, but, but she said, hey, it is a non-negotiable for me that we give our first 10% to our church. And I thought, sweet, 10%? I make 18 grand, we can't afford two burritos. We split the Chipotle and share it. 10%? You gotta be kidding me. But, but this was her non-negotiable for us. And we decided at that point to use the tithe, a 10%, as the baseline of our giving. So that's what, th- this is what it means for us. Uh, we give 10% back to Fathom. And I know that's weird because I get paid from here. So like I give into my own paycheck and it's just kind of this big cycle, but it, it, it all works out in the end. We bring back our first 10% and we give it to our church. Now that's different than the last 10%, right? The first 10% is different from the last 10% because here's, here's how it will happen. If I give my last 10% during the month, something's gonna come up. Right? Something's going to come up where something breaks or I want something or like, we're just like, man, we just want to go out and eat one more time or in our case, order in one more time. Right? Like we, just, we, we start to fudge a little bit and then by the end of the month, if I've, if I've said, hey, 10%, by the end of the month, there's no chance that's 10% sitting there. Maybe it's seven, maybe it's three, maybe there's nothing left and it's like, ah. So we give our first 10% and if something comes up, we got to find that money elsewhere. We gotta find that money elsewhere. We do not give God what we have left over at the end of the month. God does not do leftovers. He doesn't do it. He is first, he is best. So we bring him our first 
and our best. And listen, we did this when we were making 18K. And, and we've done this in seasons of our marriage where, man, money was short and we weren't sure if we were gonna pay our bills. And we do it today. We've done it for 15 years and listen, it's really hard. A decade and a half into it, and I still kind of hate it. Like it's really, really hard. Here's how I know that my heart is bent to worship money, okay? I have been giving 10% faithfully for 15 years and I am still tempted with what I could buy for myself with that money. Like I see that withdrawal happen at the beginning of the month in my email and I think, oh my good, like do you know what I could do with an extra 10%? What could you do with an extra 10%? I mean, I I could live in a different house. I wouldn't be wearing this shirt. I'd be wearing a nicer shirt. I certainly would not have driven a GMC Canyon. I'll tell you that much. But Marcy and I are committed to using the tithe as a baseline. And so we give our first 10% back to our home church. Now, some will argue, should you give it to the church or not? I think you should give your first and your best back to the place that is spiritually forming you. That's how we're practicing it. It's not a, I can't point to the verse, but that's just how I think it makes the most sense. And then our family does. We give above to missionaries and to uh, help other things. We, we are generous with more than that, but that 10%, that's kind of the first and best that goes to the church. Jesus warns us about earthly treasure, but he does give you an antidote and generosity is how you begin to store up for yourself heavenly treasure. Now, he does give us a reason why. Why would we even want to practice generosity? And it might be a reason that you aren't expecting. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't say, hey, uh, we need to fund this mission. So don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, store them up in heaven and give us some money. He doesn't say, hey, we need more money. He he doesn't say, hey, we've got some some vision for what we want to do in the future and we need you to give to that. He says, no, the reason why you need to be generous is because where your treasure is, you're going to find your heart. Why are we generous? It's not simply to invest in eternal things but Jesus just linked our affections with our accounts. He just linked our hearts with our wallet. It's like Jesus just said to us, hey, you, want, uh, you say you love Jesus. You say you're a Christian. You say you love Jesus more than anything else in this world. But if you want to diagnose where your heart actually is, you need to look at your bank statement because that's where you'll see what you actually love. Your money will easily go in the direction of the thing that you worship. It's just like I said, we're all generous to something. We're all generous to something. Uh, The other thing, you, you realize every one of us tithes. You all tithe. We all tithe. We all do something with our first tenth. We all do something with our first and our best, but most use their first fruits on things that cannot do for them what only God can do for them. 
You realize your house cannot save you, right? You realize that your kid's education cannot save you. You realize that your hobbies, while legit, listen, I see you on social media. You got some legit hobbies, okay? Those hobbies, while legit, they cannot give you what you need. Listen, your coffee habit, and I know it's like, no, don't go there, right? Everything else, you were fine, pastor, but you start talking about the drip. Now, listen, good coffee, which is a gift from on high, right? It's not what you should value first. I mean, just look at your statement and you'll be shocked by how much you might spend on coffee. I'll put it up on the screen. This is my main point here. What you do with your first exposes what's first in your heart. What you do with your first exposes what's actually first in your heart. Now do you see why this is a discipline? Why this is necessary for spiritual maturity? Why this needs to be practiced? Why I'm not just like, hey, we need some money, so let's talk about giving. Jesus is linking our hearts' affections to our finances. So let me give, um, let me give a real practical application. Okay, uh, we've been doing this with each one of these disciplines. The first five disciplines we've given you practical kind of challenges. Here's the challenge uh, here today. Uh, I've taught this at Fathom a number of times, so you might have heard this, but I think this is helpful. Um, This week, here's what I would like to challenge us with. I want to challenge you to take a look at your finances this week. Um, But I want you to do it with someone else. So if you are married, I want to challenge you to have that conversation as a couple. If you are unmarried, I really want to encourage you to have this conversation with a roommate or a trusted friend or a family member. Like, I just don't want you to do this by yourself because by yourself, you will very quickly start justifying and coming up with reasons why you need more. You will quickly move away from giving your first and best to giving whatever's left over at the end. And I would just say, it would be very valuable to do this with people. And what I want you to do is when you pull out that budget or that, uh, that, that statement or whatever it is, I want you to ask yourself two questions. The first question, and I want you to be honest. This is why another person is necessary, okay? I want you to be honest and ask, answer the question, what do I give my first and my best to? What do I give my first and best to? And then I want you to answer the second question. What does this say about what I love the most? You know, this might not be a fun exercise. You might be like, hey, what about fasting? Can we fast again? Because this one is, no, like, what do I give my first and best to? What does this say about what I love most. And then I would challenge you, if you feel compelled by the Spirit, which I hope you are, I hope you see the biblical uh, imperative here, I would challenge you to make a plan for how you can start practicing generosity.
Now, I will give you some steps, okay? Don't try and bite this whole thing off in one fail swoop. Like, don't just, you don't, don't just jump in all, I mean, maybe, but be careful. Remember, simple and consistent. Start simple if you need to and do it consistently, and that will be transformative. So just in terms of taking one more step, here's some steps that might help, okay? First, step one, if you are giving nothing, if you look at your report and you say, I am giving nothing, give something. Okay, move from nothing to something. This might be a first and huge step for some of us, okay? But I'm just challenging you to engage in the discipline of generosity. Again, not because I need your money. I'm not, I, listen, I don't, I don't need a new car yet, right? I, it's because it's going to affect your heart if you're not generous. So move from, from nothing to something. Step two, if you are finding yourself giving something, move from something to a percentage, Okay, move from something, just like random, I'm gonna throw some cash into the plate. We don't have a plate, but you know what, you know what I mean. Uh, move from something to a percentage. Now, that does not necessarily mean you move straight to a 10% thing. That might be way too much. You, your budget might take some time to massage and get to the point where you can do that. That's totally understandable. But move away from random generosity to set generosity, planned generosity. Step three, if you are on a percentage, I would challenge you to move from a percentage to a tithe. Does the Bible, does the New Testament command us to give a tithe? No, but it would be good for you. Just that I love you. It would be really good for you. We all give our first tenth to something. Maybe your next step is to move to give that first tenth to the Lord. And then step four, if you are a tither, maybe you might need to move from a tithe to sacrificial. Just because you hit that 10% mark does not mean that you're good and golden. For some of you, you know, this is not enough to be a real sacrifice and you need to be able to be more generous. You need to build more margin into your life to be generous. And so I would just say that would be a next step that all of us can, can look at. All of four of those steps are things that we can all do. Nothing to something, something to a percentage, a percentage to a tithe and a tithe to sacrificial. Now, I want to end this sermon, okay? We're done talking about money, Whew, all right? I also want to end this series and conclude uh, by commending us, church. We've talked about six disciplines. I want to commend us to keep practicing these things. Like we've said each week, hey, practice this for, for six weeks or five weeks or four weeks. Like if you've been reading the Bible, if you've been reading Matthew in our reading plan, you're done on Thanksgiving. Like I would just say, keep reading. Move to Mark, read a chapter a day. Like keep that discipline, like keep training in these things. And the reason why I want to encourage us that is, is because just like any kind of training, if you don't keep practicing, you're going to lose the progress you've made. If you've ever worked out for a while, like any amount of time, you work out for a while and then you stop, it's like unbelievable how quickly you lose that fitness. Like you atrophy and you used to be able to run a mile and now you can't even like run up the stairs. Like that happens really fast. The same, I'm telling you, it will happen with your discipleship. If you don't keep training yourself in these disciplines, you will lose all that you may have gained in the last month and a half. And I've had this illustration in mind, all sermon series, this whole series, I've had it in mind and I've, I've held it back for today's conclusion intentionally. Um, I know a number of friends who suffer with uh, bipolar disorder. 
Okay, they suffer under this disorder. Bipolar is a mental uh, condition that that causes extreme mood swings, right? It, uh, from like this almost like manic emotional highs all the way down into these deep low depressions, like these deep dark depressions. And I have a number of friends who suffer from this, and some of my friends who suffer uh, under bipolar, they say that it's very difficult to find the right combo of like counseling and therapy and sometimes medication to kind of help a person even out out and kind of curb those highs and stay out of those lows. And so it's, it can be a real challenge to find the right uh, treatment plan, as it were. Um, but as difficult as that is, they say that there is a more difficult next step after finding things that work to help them kind of even out. And they say the real struggle is staying committed to that plan. Because like, like when they're really in this dark, deep, pit of depression, like they, they find themselves seeking out treatment and medication and like a way out of that darkness. And so often they'll find counseling or they'll find medication and they'll find themselves stabilized. And then it can be extremely difficult at that point to convince oneself to stay on the treatment plan. Because at that point, you don't feel like you need it anymore. They said, that's the real wall to overcoming their bipolar is not just finding the treatment that works, but sticking with it even when you don't think you need it anymore. Does that sound familiar to any of us here? This is what happens to me. This is what happens to us. We find ourselves in a bind Right, in a mess, stuck in some sort of gunk or sin that we can't get out of. Or we just somehow get inspired and we get to this emotional high where we're on this rocky mountain high kind of just exaltation of Jesus. And so we start practicing some things like to either get us out of the pit or to somehow maintain this fire that we found at the top of the mountain. So we start building some disciplines into our lives and they bring us up or they bring us down and they just kind of keep us into this even place. They grow us, they mature us. And like, you might feel right, like right now like that because you maybe have been practicing some disciplines that you haven't practiced historically. You start feeling more mature, more healthy. And then you start to feel like you've got a foothold. Right, And you're starting to climb and you're starting to feel good. And then very quickly, we can start to forget about the disciplines that got us to the place that we are. You start to think, I've got this now. I don't need to read the book anymore. I've got this now. I'm not gonna fast anymore. I've got victory over this thing now. I don't need to give anymore. I'm doing pretty well now. And we think we've got this when in reality, we don't got this. Church, training in the disciplines, in simplicity and consistency over a long period of time is, I'll say this confidently, send me an email if you disagree, is the key to spiritual maturity. It's not only one of the keys. I think it is the key to spiritual growth. So I'm commending to you, let's keep at this. This is not a six-week sermon series. This is a six-week sermon series that leads us to the rest of our lives together as believers. So here's what I've done. We've created this disciplines plan. You know, we've created these fun things all through the series. And uh, this is just literally a chart that has all of our disciplines and has daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually. And then on the back is like an example 
of a potential disciplines plan. I wanna challenge you to go fathomchurch.org slash disciplines and to download this and to make a plan. Make a plan for your discipleship, for your discipline life. Make a plan, write it out. If you don't write it, like good intentions don't count here, right? I really wanted to read my Bible, I just didn't. Well, then it counts as nothing. Make a plan, ask somebody in your life to hold you accountable, make them a copy of it. This is why we have small groups is so that you can hold one another accountable for these things. Find the plan, make the plan, have someone hold you accountable for it and then train. Let's keep working out. Let's keep practicing. Let's keep getting better at this. Let's stick with these disciplines. And, and your D groups are gonna go through this and we'll circle back to this at the end of the year. And then we're gonna circle back to this next year. This will be on repeat at Fathom for the foreseeable future. That's how important these things are. Simplicity and consistency. You wanna, you wanna be 95 years old and, and be able to stand or sit before uh, people much younger and, and have them look up to you and your spiritual maturity and your spiritual wisdom, listen to me, you won't get there by accident. You wanna be a sage, you wanna have uh, some spiritual maturity that is admirable, it doesn't happen haphazardly. Your goals are out here, your reality is right here and disciplines are the bridge between the two. Let's keep practicing. Let's keep training church. Let's pray. We're done. Lord, we do bless you. We are thankful for, um, I'm thankful, goodness, I'm thankful for these disciplines. I'm thankful for the fact that some of these I'm feeling really good about. Some of these have been very challenging to me, even in these six weeks. And I, and I hear and believe the same is happening in our church. Thank you, Father, for uh, these, these common things that we can do that you have said that you will meet us in, that you have shown and proven over, over millennia that these are the ways uh, by which we follow you and deepen in our love for you. God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling with any of these disciplines, struggling even with generosity and giving and finances and all that stuff. These are all real things. But Lord, would you compel us in our hearts to, to become more like your son, Jesus, to follow you in maturity. Where we have issues, Lord, may we ask for help. Where we don't have uh, the answers, Lord, may we, may, may we seek someone to walk with us in that. That we would all become more mature, that we would all go deeper with you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.